happening now. Sound down. Samantha Little, first on from Maidenhead. Good evening, Gary Allen. Hello, Sharon Stokes from Walthamstow. Greg Haylett. Simon Farquhar, welcome back. Greg Haylett, Glenn Stokes. Patrick Witters, Differdanger. Oh, Joe Vincent, George Corner from the Scottish Borders, Barry Capper, hello man, how's your family? David Hardy, everything good? Chris Harris, hello Chris. Got your CD, mate, I've not played it yet, but I've taken the warning that you wrote down on the on the letter, and uh, I'll have a listen to it when I'm suitably there, in the place, in the zone, to listen to it. So, don't worry, you know, I understand completely. It's like, it's Mike Connabier, from Birmingham, David Richardson. Oh, is that David? Hello, Stephen Hatch. Uh, Phil Machen from South Staffordshire. Neil Retty, Andrew McDonald from Saudi. Hello. Ooh. <laughs> Saudi. Uh, sun, heat, warmth. Um, yeah, um, there's going to be a special visitor today. Uh, you won't see him. But we've got the gas man coming. The gas man. Uh, about um, um, almost many days ago, was it? Was it last weekend? Yeah, last. It was last weekend, Saturday. It was uh, the central heating came off. We thank God we got the morsel stove, the wood burning stove. Yeah, so the gas central heat went down, and it took me a couple of days. The thing I really hate is that when you go up and you Google and you go like, you know, you just go, you know. Gas central heating engineers, East Lothian, Harrington, East Lothian, right? And up pops this thing, and it, it's got a website, and it goes, um, um, uh, heat engineers from, ha heat engineers, Harrington heating engineers, right? And you go, you phone up the number, right? And you know what's coming, right? And it was a firm in Essex. <laughs> Essex. It's like, you know, why is it all these yell things on Google when you just want to find somebody that's local, that lives down the road, that you can phone up? It's most of the guys you kind of get to know, but, you know... I used to get mine serviced by British Gas a while back and I, I flipped it because that was kind of, the idea was to change energy sources, etc. But that's another story. But I mean, um, but yeah, so the central heat went down and I phoned up the guy and normally I've got this, a Worcester boiler, a gas boiler, and it fires up off LPG because we're way off the grid. It's, um, we have actually got a super duper kind of high pressure um, uh, gas line that's about two fields away, like it's massive. Like it's, it sends gas down Essex, I think it is. But it's um it's massive. It's and it's like um, we went. Can, can we get gas, please? Right, <laughs> and we thought it'd be great if we could actually get a feed, a gas feed, because up here on the on the farm where we live, we've got a septic tank arrangement. Right, we've got <laughs> BT BT broadband from hell. Right, so we all have to use, or most of us use. Um, Lothian broadband to send it across here by sat on, onto a satellite dish that we've got in the house, right? And uh, we've got electricity, right? But gas, we've got no gas either. And uh, we, we made an inquiry about how much it would cost to um, get gas taken from the main, the, not the, the big high pressure he's made, but the other mains that go up and down. And they were on half a million quid. <laughs> half a million quid. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love one of them. Uh, three, uh, three actually. Just in case the first one breaks. Um, yeah, so it was. Uh, so we're off. We we get LPG, which I hate. 
right? I hate it. It's really, really expensive. I remember when I moved in the original house, we had oil, and, and that went kerching really fast. <laughs> and I didn't like just oil, oil boilers and stuff. It was just naff. So when I moved here, I went, LPG was supposed to be a greener option before it became ungreen. <laughs> so I've got, and I've got an underground uh, LPG tank out there. And um, <clears throat> it's, uh, and we had it filled just before Christmas, which was another kitching moment. <laughs> oh, oh my God, the LPG tank has come. God bless us all, sir. <laughs> Watching the zeros go <laughs> So anyway, we got a full tank. The boiler goes down last weekend and I've got to get the guy that I eventually find, not because the guy from Essex, right? The guy from Essex phoned back and they said they were really sorry, but the local guy, <laughs> local guy was unavailable at the moment, right? So he won't be able to come for another, another day or so. So I went, I'll get, I'll try somebody else, right? So, <laughs> so I've, I found a, a nice guy down in uh, uh, Gullenway and uh he came up to see it and he said, you, the, the, the boiler's kind of okay-ish, it seems, but there's no gas coming. And I'm going, I've just spent a ka-ching fortune and there must be gas in the tank. We couldn't have used all that gas. <laughs> we couldn't have used all that gas in that time. And uh, so I had to phone up Color Gas and they sent a guy, an engineer arrived when it was all pitch black and we're out there with torches. And he took the manhole cover off the workings, like the head of the, the thing, because it's underground and you've got the head bit where the valves are. And there was about nine inches of water in it. And it's got a cover on it. And I've got, how did this nine inches of water come in? Normally I open it up and it used to be bloody frogs, right? You used to open it up and you'd find about 10 frogs that were all kind of hibernating or whatever, and, and, you know. And, but anyway, so there was all this water in it. And he said, oh, there's a problem with it. He said, like, uh, he said, I'll just reset it. So the next day I went out and emptied all the water out and the boiler fired up and everything was going fine. And then this morning it didn't come on. And then this afternoon, yeah. And I'd been out all afternoon putting lagging. I, bought, I had to buy some lagging. So it's a, like polystyrene, it's kind of polystyrene foam, kind of big pipes that go around the existing pipes because seemingly the condensation comes off the boiler. And... Uh, and it goes down these pipes, and if it's really, really cold, it freezes, and it just stops the boiler from working because it goes fall, fall, emergency wheel rooms. So when I get a flashing EA, 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 it comes up on the Wooster, and, uh, and it happened again today. So in the middle of the broadcast, you'll probably hear the doorbell, doorbell go. So don't get too excited. It's nobody from Marillion popping in. It's just the gas man. And he's going to be outside, um, basically putting a new, he's got to put a new regulator on my tank. But thank God for the Morso stove. <laughs> well, we're dealing with this, right? I've got a guy, there's a guy coming on Tuesday to have a look. And uh, and it's weird because when you, you know what it's like if you've got to get people around, it's, um, you know, sort of, you've got to go and hide in a corner of the room somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, so anyway, they've got to pop around and I check this out because it's this not right either. So, But it's... I found out what's wrong with it. I know exactly what's wrong with it. This is the morsel, right? The morsel stove has been in here for yonks, and I love this damn thing. Uh, nice big fire. Uh, it's been opened up a wee bit. 
There you go. There you go. Making an arse of myself in the fireplace. <laughs> anyway, anyway, these logs. Give it a wee box, Jim. But this is a morsel, but it's two big plates in, inside the inside the stove, either side. And they've cracked through all the years because this has been in for a while. But the naughty, naughty thing I did, right? forgot to clean up the great love <laughs> um that's um that's a flagstone right and basically when this, the studio was built when the studio was built this um <laughs> when the studio was built this room was technically called the drum room because it's got all the beams up in the ceiling and there used to be lots on the two walls facing each other. The wall where the fireplace is and the other wall. They were like solid insulation. And um, and you could shut this room off. There used to be great big kind of folding doors that shut the two main rooms out that off that we now have as our kind of living space. And uh, so this was the drum room, right? And the idea was to have so many reflective surfaces. So on the wall, there was all these broken stones. So like, you know, Rab, Rab Purdy could tell you all about this. He knows all about how sound waves like bend and fractuate and things. But that's the wall, right? And it's broken stone. And it's broken stone and the beams are all there because all the sound waves, right? All the sound waves basically bounce around all the broken elements and they, they don't just hit smooth surfaces and bend back. And, um, you don't get them cancelling each other out and, and stuff, but you, you basically get a big drum sound. And to add to all of that, right, I put in a flagstone floor. So you've got a stone floor, a broken stone wall, and beams to, to mix up all the waves above. You know, it was great. In fact, it was so great, it was so big, the drum sound we got in here when we tried it on 10 Lex so we had to dampen it down. It was so huge. <laughs> A made in the air tonight sound like a six-year-old drummer playing in a little tin drummer room on his own. It did. Yeah. Anyway, happy Erdinger and welcome to Fishing Friday. Oh, God. My IP address is exposed. Ah. I don't go away. Robert Arons, good evening. John Germanotta, who's in your T-shirt? This T-shirt, John Germanotta... General Giant, it's a General Giant shirt I picked up and um, I got it in America. I bought this in America at the Prog Festival at um, Nearfest and it was great. I love, I love being at Nearfest because what happened was that like, um, you know, you, it's a Prog Festival so there's loads of kind of Prog heads come from all over the place. And I um, and of course, they've got the record stores and stuff, and they had all these kind of CDs there. And at the time, I was kind of, you know, doing my Planet Rock radio show, and um, and I was kind of looking for bits and pieces. And we were there like all day, you know, the usual story. You arrive in the venue, which was kind of way out. <laughs> there, there wasn't much to do in the neighborhood. <laughs> And it was great meeting up a load of musicians. I met up with Peter Hamill and stuff for the first time in years and a load of other interesting guys. But what really got me that day, right, 
was that um, they had all these kind of shops in the back of the venue, this big theatre. And that, that was where I found this amazing shirt, this gentle giant shirt, which I thought was really cool. And um, I bought a couple of other bits and pieces, but I bought shitloads of CDs. And uh, I was forever, because the thing was that my credit card had gone down. I put the wrong pin code in my credit card in San Francisco on the very first day of the tour, and it blanked my card. <laughs> and I was just borrowing cash of Yatta the entire tour. Yeah, I got a hundred bucks, please. I've got to buy it. And that day I was back and forth. Can I have a hundred bucks, please? Yeah, because the CD's for my sh it's for show, it's for, jo it's for the job, job, please. And I'd run back, and then I'd buy another load and come back. Yeah, I can have your other. And I had, I had about 30 or 40 amazing CDs that I, had, I, I didn't have any, I, I hadn't seen them before. It was Gentle Giant albums, Caravan albums that I hadn't found. It was a couple of PFM things that were kicking around, but, but I bought loads of them. But that shit was, comes from America. And I love it, because it's like Americans, because they're, you know, there's a lot more big size guys in America than there is anywhere else in the world, I think. So you can get big guys T-shirts, which are fantastic, and this one's great quality, and it's uh, it's got this kind of bit of elastic. It's great. But um, where was I? Morsel stove. Yeah, so I've got this. I've got to sort out the morsel because the two plates, big iron plates inside the stove, they've cracked, so they need to be gone. But they've got to come from Denmark, haven't they? Because it's like when I was looking for stoves. It was a case of, um, I needed something to fit this big room, you know? And because I had the flagstone floor, it, it made sense to put a stove in the side. And I got the, the surround built. That was built about a year, year after. So that protected all the, the woods and stuff. And it kind of it worked in with the regulations. But it sat on this flagstone floor, this big morsel stove that was recommended. It's got a big high K rating and it heats up with the fans, because that's the other thing I did, was I put, I put fans up in the roof. So, um, A, because it felt a lot better drinking Singapore slings in a room full of fans. Right? But, um, yeah, but having the fans in the roof, uh, it really helped move the air, because as you know, heat rises. So all the heat rises up into the area where the fans are, and where, by the way, the, the, the rail is, where we dry the clothes, right? That's why that's up in the beams as well. And the fans spin and they move the air right the way around the studio. So if we, if we get the big stove running, we put the two fans on and it, it heats up the whole room and means we don't have to use so much LPG gas, right? So um, anyway, everything's great. So muscle stove. Then I started to notice it was cracking on the top of the neck because it's like um, the kettle. The kettle's there to supply some some humidity, and it's absolutely empty. I'm amazed at the bottom of the kettle's actually still intact. But that's the collar, and that isn't supposed to move. And what happened was about a couple of years ago, the collar kept breaking, and I thought it had been one of those kind of whiny moments because the actual bit I touched there has got a double liner on it so it's, it's really hot but it's not scalding you know it's, it's not going to burn you right and I thought myself or someone had leaned on the pipe and broken the concrete around the bottom so we fixed it 
two months later, it happened. The same thing happened again. And then last year I had um, a guy came round to, to see it and he, he fixed it as well. And I, it's all brilliant. And then it was like, you know, weeks later, the thing's cracking up again and I didn't know why. Duh! Right? Flagstone floor, right? That's where I was breaking the logs. So I've got kindling. And if the people that know fires and know how to put fires together, you got your kindling and then you've got kind of like secondary burn wood, like secondary kindling, which kind of is a little bit bigger, twice as big as the kindling, and then it, you get the core and then you can... Your fire goes all nice and orange, right? <laughs> so, you know, I bring the wood in and it just means you're just splitting like bits of wood that are about that size and splitting them in two, you know? But I was doing it on top of the flagstone floor because I could tap it without driving the axe all the way through. So the flagstone floor was, it was just taking the pressure of the, um, the thing most of the time. <laughs> you know, when you've had a couple of beers and you're putting a fire on and stuff, it's like, oh, bollocks. And I cracked it years ago, right? About four or five years ago. I mean, that stove's been in there since, I think, this is about 2004 or something. It's been in there a long time. And um, so I, I busted one of the flagstones in front of the, the stove. And of course, I kept on going and it kept on breaking and it kept on cracking and it kept on cracking and it, the thing basically disintegrated. And when it disintegrated, I discovered that what was underneath the, the, the flagstone, it wasn't concrete, right? It was sand, right? So the whole floor, I'd completely forgotten, obviously, since 1991 when it was built, that they put sand down and laid the, the flagstones on the sand and cemented and grouted all the flagstones. So when I disintegrated this flagstone at the front of the fire, what happened was, right, the sand started to move, as sand does, right? And the fucking stuff came out from underneath the stove. So I thought it was, it was, and it has got something to do with it, the reverberation of hitting the, um, of hitting the wood, Right, which broke the initial flagstone. Right, I thought it's the rever the reverberation or the, or the, the, the kind of thumping. Yes, has caused some damage, but what's really caused it, and the reason why it's cracking, is because all the sand seeped out from under all the other flagstones, and the stove sunk by about five millimeters. <laughs> so bollocks. So anyway, so I gotta get that fixed. And, uh, but it's a great, the morsel's good. I really like the morsel. And it's a catalytic burner as well, which means, you know, it, it, um, it's a lot healthier for the environment. And I know there's loads of people kind of going on about, oh, wood burning stoves and blah, 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 and, you know, climate change. I live on a farm in East Lothian. Tonight, it's probably going to be about minus three, right? I have LPG, right, and I've got uh, available electricity and I have a wood-burning stove. And I feel kind of okay about my catalytic wood-burning stove, you know. You, just hardly, you don't see any smoke coming out, out the, the chimney. We, I burn kind of two-year-old two or I try to get two-year-old dried wood because burning wet wood, for all of those out there already know, it's, you actually use up more energy burning wet wood than the, you, you, the energy you create. And it's, uh, and it's got a load of bad shit in it, you know? 
So, you know, I'm quite happy with a muscle with burning stove and I really want to get it fixed because it saved our ass in the last week. Because uh, we only have one electric heater, which is normally in Simona's office, but thankfully, as it all happens in the great big swing of time where the unicorns dance and the fairies mumble, right? The stove, because the office was shut, was the, the, the electric um, stove was brought through. And that's in my mum's room. So my mum's got the only electric heater in the entire building, apart from the one in the cabin, right? So we've, we've gone back to basics and it's, it's good, you know? It's, uh, I actually quite like it when you get a power cut and, you know, you're sitting there with a the fire on. It's, it's like going back to bygone times. Get the, get the scone irons out. <laughs> get cooking. Huh. But yeah, so that's it. So the central heating engineer is going to be due soon. Tuesday, the guy's coming down because what I want to do is basically underneath remove the stove and it needs to be repaired. And this is two big plates. I mean, it's an incredible piece of engineering. There's about three hundred parts or something in that stove, and we got you can disassemble it and then put the bits back in and build the whole thing up again and get the collar back on, get the suction right. And that means I won't be burning as much wood as I'm burning at the moment, especially with the central heating being off. But um, but nowadays, I've learned my lesson and I don't cut in the flagstone. I cut it on... Tara's boyfriend, Jono, got me that huge piece of, I think it's oak. And that is where I chop my wood now with the axe I got for my Christmas present from my stepson, Liam. <laughs> yeah, so that's where it's at. Muscle stove. If the parts ever get here. Um, Lynn McElhenney, McElhenney, thank you. Annie Heath, four candles. Alexander, Alexia from Bulgaria, good evening. Uh, I James love my wood stove. I love it. It's the best thing we ever did. I mean, Simona, absolutely. You like it, don't you? Yeah. You like it? I love it. <laughs> yeah. Simona's just charging up. The, the 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 beam thing the beam thing hanging drying so I'll show you how it goes up into the air part of the the drama and the action in this current Fish and Friday version thing yeah. Pierre Nichols good day from Melbourne Australia female use my love chopping wood that's <laughs> and yeah chopping wood's very therapeutic Stuart Evans from Brighton Chris Gaskin from New York City, Deborah Casey. Ooh. John Watson says, hi, Simona. Hi. Simona says, hi, Sean Watson. <laughs> uh. Oh, it's all zipping by too fast here. Ray Aird freezing in the pool. Uh, ba ba ba. Philip Nicholson, write stuff. Write it all down. Get out of here. Pauline Daisley, does Liam like your music, Fish? He likes some of it. He, we don't really talk about it. I, I was, um, when he came on, when did he come on tour with us? He's been on the tour bus a couple of times. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. it was, um, oh, there's the beam thing going up. Look. Da -da. Isn't that cool? That's the, my mom used to have one in the kitchen, right? And uh, what's it? What's it called? An air heater or something? And uh, but it's just stunning. It means you don't have to use the 
you save money on the electric kind of dryer, which is just ka-ching, another ka-ching factor in the house. You know? So the beam thing hanging drying is like where we, we use it a lot during the winter. But yeah, Liam, yeah, he, he likes some of it. He likes the Weltschmerz stuff. He's, he's got a bass, he, he plays bass, and he likes um, he likes some tricky music. He's, uh, he got quite in a yes and ways mates. I think I mentioned this in a previous Fishing Friday. By the way, the website, Rob Scarron is back again in command of, of the website, and we've got it on our server again, which means that Rob can be more kind of hands-on because he understands the tools and the makeup of it all and things. All the Fishing Fridays, Fishing Friday is going to have its own page on, on, the, uh, on the, the new website, right, of, of the website. And um, so all the Fishing Fridays are going to be up there. So there'll be an entire library for people who've missed it. Because it was interesting, even tonight, it was people going like, you know, oh, can you do Plague of Ghosts? And somebody's went, he did it four weeks ago. I mean, because there's a lot of them now. And like I said, I was cleaning up the board because uh, we got a big wall board through there and uh, it's been there for years and years and years. And this is the time of year where I take, I get my, I get my camera out and I take photographs of the board and then I can close up and I can find out exactly what my diary, not my diary, but I can, if I ever need to go back and, and kind of remember when something happened, then I've got, I can just go up into the, my photo, um, into my photo files, find it and then just pull out and see what it is. So this is the traditional point of year where we clean the board, right? And normally it's like, you know, you, you take all the magnetic strips of all the months and then you spray it and then you and then you clean all the magnetic strips and you put them all up and you double check and triple check that you've got, you know, that make sure that the first is a Monday on June and blah, 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 and it ends on a Friday. And I always screw up every year. And I always get, there's always one month, it's like one day out. And I start putting, writing things up in the diary and then you go, wait a minute, the gig's supposed to be on a, why are we doing a gig on a Tuesday? It should be a Friday. And then you realise you moved the magnetic strip wrong, forgive me. Anyway, magnetic strips went up on the board and uh, I went to add my diary. And normally uh, this this time you'd be kind of writing up, da -da -da, you know, Bonn, Berlin, you know, Zurich, then, oh, oh yeah, there's the three Dutch gigs and da da da, and festival. What did I write up this year? Nothing. It was like, I had three entries. One, next Tuesday, the guy's coming down to see about the Mosul stove. The gas guy's coming tonight. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah, and I've got a meeting about my will. I've got a Zoom meeting about my will on a Monday. That's it. That's my year. I put my anniversaries up. Someone nice anniversary. It's got a little blue marker on it. Liam's the 18th birthday. My poor wee laddie's going to have an 18th birthday in this. It's the... <laughs> you can have an extra can of cider tonight, son. See it's your 18th. <laughs> poor wee bastard. But yeah, so it's... um, Yeah, so the magnetic board was... It was I, I didn't put the, the September gigs up. I'm, I'm, I don't want to... Kind of <laughs> I've not put them up yet. It's because Stevie Vance has got, um, he got a notice through. As I said, you know, my mum got her uh, vaccination, her first vaccination on Saturday morning. And, uh, which is really cool. It was in and out, five minutes. So like, yeah, I went, I drove Simona and my mum down. Simona walked in, my mum, and she was in for five, wasn't it? Five minutes. 
Yeah, nothing knows. Going to, we're going through every 15, 20 minutes going, you all right, Mum? You feel tired? No, I'm fine, I'm fine. Reading my book, watching Tipping Point. You all right, Mum? You don't feel sick of it? No, I'm absolutely <laughs> We're waiting in some sort of like, you know, yeah, no. <laughs> she was fine, no problem. So she's got it, we've not, right? So it's um, it's okay, so it comes in the house and someone and I catch it, Mum will have to make her own tea. <laughs> Uh, uh. Anyway, so, so it's all good. And uh, <coughs> it's um, what else was there? It was uh, the Brexit stuff. <laughs> oh fucking hell! Oh. So I sent an email off to the guy who's our account supervisor or whatever it is. Uh, still not heard anything back yet. That's wrong mail because we kind of we're still waiting on the answers. So. Um, Yes, everything's going to be zero rated, and um, I think I explained a little bit of this last week, but just just to touch on it, right? Just to give my concerns about this, right? For us, it's easy peasy. We just go, you know, down at Fuse Metrics on the on the mail order and, and the software. They can change it across the EU. is is no longer, you know, liable for VAT. Clear. We people in Germany, Holland, da da da. They're not charged VAT now. Not a problem, right? But <laughs> it's that we're trying to find out, and we're, I've still not got an answer yet. So we're just going to have to go with it. But what I want to do is drop the price of the standard album by, I think, a penny, two pennies, because well, let's backtrack. <laughs> if you buy an item that is one item, that is less than 15 pounds or 22 euros or whatever it is, right? If you buy that item, you don't have to pay VAT on it, which means somebody in Holland that orders a standard Weltschmerz album, right? That's priced just under 15 quid, right? That means that they get that album tax-free or VAT-free. They still got to pay the postage, obviously, but I mean, it just means it takes a little bit out, but it's only up to £15. After £15 is where the problem goes, because seemingly the item that's valued under €22, Euros, 15 quid goes straight to the customer, as far as I know, right? But, well, the issue is we sell tracked and signed for, right? That's part of the thing. You buy tracked and signed for. And we don't know... And we haven't got the answers yet. And this is what I've been waiting to find out from my Royal Mail advisor, right, for a week, right? Is that when we send out a package, right, does it get stopped at customs and then an email is sent out to the customer to say that the package is there and he has to pay the import tax and the VAT, basically, right? For which he can pay online and then the package goes to the post office and then to the customer. Does that happen? Or does it go to the post office and as a card put through the person's own, uh, post box saying, please go to the post box to pay the import duty VAT on a package that's arrived to you from the UK, right? Or does somebody come to the door and have a machine that is able to take a credit card on the doorstep when well, they give you a package, right? And this is all during COVID. So it's like, 
in an ideal world, I wouldn't like to think anybody's going to have to go to a post office to pick up a, a package, right? Standing in two metre queues, everybody's going to the post office, doing the, the, the normal work. Post office, or post office on reduced staff, etc., etc., etc. We don't know. And like I said, it, it doesn't affect us, but it affects you, right? I mean, people in America are watching this, in Australia, you know, you already know what the score is with this stuff. And, you know, you've settled down. For us, it's brand new. This is all brand new. And obviously, you know, for, for Simone and I, so we're very aware that, you know, people that, you know, are going to order things, you know, there's some people that are not dedicated fans, you know, and not, that are just, you know, oh, Velspence album, I'd quite like to get that. Oh, it's the UK and I've got to go through all this rigmarole to get it delivered. Do I really want to do that? And that's what we're dealing with. And that's what a lot of businesses out there are dealing with at this moment in time. And, you know, since I did the posts up about the, 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 the musicians' visas and stuff, and, you know, posting up about the office being closed. You know, there's a lot of people being in touch with us, with businesses, not necessarily music business, but are saying they've got exactly the same, same issues. And Jesus, I mean, when you see the fishermen, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to wade through, is it a work visa, is it not a work visa? How does this all happen and how do we deal with this? I'm still trying to wade through that. You know, and I'm thinking about a tour that's coming up in September. But there are guys landing langoustines and scallops on a dockside, right, on the west coast of Scotland, right, that have perishable goods, you know. But my CDs don't self-destruct. Or some people might think they do, but the way they arrive in the Royal Mail, but they don't, right? But a langoustine, a live langoustine, right, that's got to be delivered to, to France, right? You know, they were saying that before, it used to take one day to get from up the west coast, right, for it to go through the packing centre where it gets grouped up where, uh, across and outside Glasgow, right? It takes a day to get from there all the way down to, out to, to, to Boulogne, right? And it was taking three days. And, of course, they're live scallops, they're live langoustines, and they're dying. And they're basically arriving, you know, down there and being, if they get across the, across the door, they're being rejected. And these are people that are working on a, a they're, they're, they're harvesting from the sea, you know, on a daily basis. And it's the paperwork that's just killing them, right? Because they're trying to wade through all this paperwork. And there's people dealing with like, you know, thousand pound a day losses that are on small boats. And it's just shocking, you know? And I wish the UK government would have just wound its neck back in Right, and just taking another year in the middle of COVID, for God's sake, right? We're sitting here dealing with reduced posts. There was a thing came out on Royal Mail just the other day saying, like, you know, for London, for London, right? They were they were, and they were absolutely overwhelmed, and it, it was a mess in all these lists of areas and post offices. And there was a guy sent sent us a text the other day, and he ordered a T-shirt, right? He ordered a Fish and Friday T-shirt. And it took 23 days to get from Haddington to London. 23 days, right? And it kind of, it, oh, and that annoys me. But I mean, you know, as I said, you know, you're dealing with an overwhelmed postal service, right? That's, that's dealing with problem staffing issues. It's dealing with delivery issues, et cetera, et cetera. Why couldn't we just, uh, just move Brexit just a year, right? 
you know, we've signed it. It's all done. It's all sorted out. You know, why couldn't we just have another year of, of, of dealing with it as it is just to allow businesses to get through the, 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 the shit of a COVID, right? And everything we're having to put up with in that on, on every level, not just the music business, every business, especially the small businesses that are like reliant on the EU, right? The, the people like myself who... You know, nearly 50% of, of, of our mail order is across in the EU, right? And suddenly we're having to deal with all this, right? And nobody's prepared because the rules and the regulations were only brought in two weeks ago. You know, there was a thing in, I read the other day that was an announcement from the, the company woman, I can't remember her name. She was in, involved with the fisheries thing and didn't even read, right? She didn't even read what Johnson had put together, right? She didn't know what was going in there. And she, it was just landed on her. And that's been landed in all these fishermen up the west coast of Scotland and in Cornwall, right? And in other various parts of the UK. You know, this is just a, this is just a Scottish thing, right? But I mean, you know, people like the, you know, the shell fishermen down in Cornwall and stuff, you know, that, that are reliant on getting the, these products out into, into you because that is where they're making the money to keep themselves alive and it's tough enough for those, those guys at the moment, right? And they suddenly deal with all this paperwork. You know, it's the same as me, you know, I'm a singer. I'm not a paperwork magician, right? They're fishermen. They're not paperwork magicians. And one of the issues is, and one of the big problems is, that we are being funneled and having to use all these advisors, right? And all these people who interpret and translate this paperwork for us, right? Me with the albums that are coming across in February from, from Holland. We have to employ it. As I said, I mean, last Friday, I did easy 400 quid, you know, just on, on trying to find advice, you know, that <laughs> didn't really help that much. You know, it was great, but you know, and that's the problem, and it's all these costs are going on, and it's the same as all the Brexit stuff going on, and, and all the, the legal fees, you know, the government are paid and are still paying, you know, as we still wheel away. Why didn't we just put it back, right? Why did we just, you know, go, let's just sit in it, okay. You know, Brexit's been voted for, fair enough. You know, I accept that, you know, we're leaving, or like the United Kingdom, you know, is leaving, right? And, you know, but just put it back a year and let's get through COVID, right? And it's, um, but no, so I no doubt we'll have the next one. But. And my morsel stove parts are coming from Denmark in a truck. You know? Oh, that was the other thing. It was, it was, uh, this was shocking. Oh, I mean, just to go back into that, to go into the Brexit thing, on the Saturday I did put up the post about, uh, how Britain had uh, refused the offer to have a kind of an exchange with the EU or, you know, regarding musicians and visas. And that's, that was, that was a in the head, you know. And, you know, now they're saying, <clears throat> basically we have a situation where um, we've been told we don't actually need work visas, but we need permits vibe. We've got to kind of notify them that, that We've got to put in a, an application, right? And um, it seems to be, going by what I've been reading today, it's for every individual country in the EU, right? And there's been some people on the Facebook page who said, oh, well, you know, you don't have to, to 
go through borders and do passports. You do. Because the new regulations say you're, we're only allowed to work there, well, to work in there for 90 days in a 180-day period, right? This is what I'm gathering, right? This is, you know. And um, we can only be there for 90 days in a 180-day period. My, the next tour is about 50 shows across about 70 days, 75 days, right? So there's 75 out of my 90 gone already, right? And if I'm if I was to look at 180 days, right, and if if this was a normal situation, where you know I could only book a couple of festivals next year, there would be only be so many festivals I could book because it, I would be overdoing my days. I would I'd be over 90 days within 180, and that's kind of what we're, we're dealing with now at this moment. And you know, on top of that, you know, I want to go and see you know Mona and Tara, and you know. You know, Simona's mum and dad, and you know, I want to go across with Simona and, and see the family, and you know, and there's another period that's going to be taken within my allotted days within the EU. But the thing is, that the visas, although you don't actually need technically a work visa, you have to basically nominate all the times you're there, which requires you having your passport stamped in and out of every European country and with your carny. That is what I've discovered so far. And I talked, I had a long talk with Yatta about this yesterday. We were, we have regular talks about kind of where it's going and, and etc. So we are, we're going to have to get off a bus in the middle of the night if we're, we're crossing a border to get a passport stamp to get the carney rectified for every individual country, right? And although you don't need the visas, the work visas, you have to get this kind of like permit thing, right? And the application fee in Holland that I've, I was pointed at uh, a couple of days back, the application fee for this kind of um, bit of paper that says that you don't need a visa, but you go, you can come in for this period, is 250 quid, right? Now, if this is right, right? If this is right, and it applies to every individual country, right? And if that fee is the same, which is kind of, I think that's roughly what we're charging in the UK, right? So... I've got 10 guys in my team, right? So 10 guys, math, that's 2,500 for one country. I play eight countries in the EU, which I might be doing next year, right? There's 10 grand. 10 grand straight off. Now, that is a hit, right? It's a hit. But I can find... I can try and find ways to alleviate that, whatever. Right? That's, you know, it's not going to kill a tour, but it will kill a tour if, it's, if you're a young band and you're going out because that 250 quid you've got to pay for the application fee, right? It doesn't matter how many records you're selling. It's like if you're a musician and you're going to be earning money, right? So how the hell is a young band going to find 10 grand in, in visas if... That is the case regarding the not the visa fees, but the actual the application fees, right? To have it processed, right? Bureaucracy, that's the problem, you know. And you know, I've, I've been talking to a couple of people this week, and we're just going like, I don't know where the music business is going to go. You know, I really don't know where it, where it's going. It's um, it's uh. When you see Dylan and and the likes, you know, sort of selling off their entire song catalogue. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, you know, 
It's a sign. <laughs> Something by my mind, please. Can I go? Can I go too? I want to leave. Oh. But yeah, it's 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 crazy, and it's uh, this whole Brexit stuff. Like, I mean, there's just so many questions, and. You know, we're booking tours. I mean, you know, I'm on tour in September. I'm lucky. I mean, those dates are in. They're on They're on sale. You know, God knows what's going to happen to them. But, you know, this is the problem. We don't know. And I've got guys sitting out there and, you know, I can't say, well, you know, we're going to rehearse then, you know, or, you know, because we don't know what's going to happen. The whole Brexit thing could change and the entire tour could become financially unviable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, um. but the other thing, emergency, emergency, Will Robinson, and this is what brought me into it. All right, is uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where is it? It's here. It's here. Oh yeah, who's it from? Oh, it's on that page. Somebody wrote, talking of Brexit, did you hear the one about the English truck driver trying to cross into Europe, having his ham sarni taken from him because he couldn't take ham over the border without some kind of permit? He begged to save the bread, but they took it all from him. <laughs> I saw that on the news. <laughs> yeah, you can The music business, it's tough enough without having your ham sandwiches taken off your tour bus. <laughs> It's what we survive on. Ham and cheese sandwiches. Without them, we're doomed. Without doomed. It's going to... Yeah. So ham and cheese sandwiches. It's, it's, it's like normally... It's, it used to be like, okay, is there anybody holding? Get your shit off the bus now. We're going through a customs point. <laughs> now it's going to be, if anybody's got any cheese, any ham, get it off the bus now. I'm not going to get busted on your behalf. <laughs> I'm not taking the rap. Applying uh, uh, for your Japanese visa. Hello, uh, any any criminal charges? Arrested for cheese smuggling. <laughs> I was caught with three ham three ham toasties on the border. I did two years. <laughs> and the irony of it all is right. And I can kind of see it. Maybe the, maybe this is what the EU are thinking ahead of, right? Because we've only been out two weeks. Right? Two weeks, right? And they're already, they're turned around and they've gone, uh, all right, we're, we'll allow gen genetically kind of modified pigs. Right? <laughs> That's it. They've seen like they're, they're walking away from, uh, the UK is kind of walking away from kind of the EU rulings and, and the EU law on um, basically genetically engineering crops to make them grow bigger and faster and you know, be more prone against insects and stuff and all these wonderful things that come out the the book of unicorns, you know what I mean? Oh, I've cornered a cob that size. This yawn big. it take you a year to eat through it. But just got a genetic... But it should work. It should work. And then suddenly you find out you've got triffids three fields away, right, that are mutated from thistles. And, you know, this is it. So we're out two weeks. We're already saying, well, yeah, we'll allow genetic engineering. So it's genetic engineering on crops and animals. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah. And I can see maybe that's where the EU are coming from. Maybe that's where they're stopping the pigs moving now because they're not going to be able to identify the pigs. Oh, it's easy to identify UK pigs. They've got three legs. Three legs, two bollocks. 
And here's, here's the size of bag. But yeah, so that's it. So we've got, we're out, of the, we're, we're out of Brexit. So we still don't know what we're doing with postage, but we're already okay in like the, the, the genetic, genetically modified crops. And what was it? There was another one. And was the ham, the ham sandwiches, it's going to be an, it's a huge blow to the music industry and it needs to be investigated now, right? Covan Dazam, one solution, you don't come to us, we'll come to you for a garden party. Funnily enough, I mean, it's, um, it's uh, one, of the, one of the things. When I moved up here, I mean, this is why the Harrington Convention came about, right? Was when I moved up here, I, I, I already knew about what the Fairports had done at Cropperty, right? And I also knew what the, the nitty gritty dirt band had done across in the States where basically they all lived in the same area and basically all the fans came to them. They didn't go out and tour, the fans came to them. That's kind of what the same, the same way sort of the, the Fairports did, because Cropperdy is, is still one of my favourite all-time festivals. I love that place. And, um, and I kind of had an idea, maybe trying to get that going up here. And it was, uh, and when I bought the farm, or not the farm, when I bought this, the, the house and the, the grounds that I had back then, which has shrunk since ever... The idea was always, well, that maybe one day you try and do a, do a, a festival up here and actually do it on the, on the farm. But, I mean, uh, <laughs> talk about Brexit red tape, festival red tape, no. And, I know, and I've, I've seen Dave Pegg at the end of a, a Cropper Day thing when they've shut down the weekend and I've seen the relief on that man's face and it wasn't from playing on stage, right? And um, but so yeah, but so that's why the Harrington Corn Exchange kind of started to become a kind of a little fan club convention, not in the same scale of the Marillion Butlins holiday camp things. No, we don't do that. Uh, and um, this is far less organised. And uh, and with the Harrington Corn Exchange, it's, it's been revamped. Seemingly, I've been told that during this the, the lockdown, it's been getting revamped how far they've got with it and what they're actually doing with it, I don't yet know. But I think I said on a previous Fishing Friday, it's like I wish the East Lothian Council had just had a little bit more vision with that place because uh, it would make a great community hub. I mean, um, it's a decent size. I think the actual official uh, limit is something like 1,500, 1,600, you know? So it's a good-sized venue. And... Um, and it'd be really easy to, to build a module within the corn exchange and put a dressing, dressing rooms, put an office in, build an extension out the back, put a, an art gallery in there, a photograph gallery, a coffee place for people to meet where you could have small acoustic concerts and things. It'd be great. It's the Europeans do it all the time. We just do not have the vision in this country to do that, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's like with movies, you know what I mean? You know, to be able to put on, you know, to get actors in or whatever and, and do, you know, talk-throughs and movies and have a cinema classes and things. It's what communities need. But, I mean, uh, yeah. so maybe Huntington Corn Exchange, you know, maybe sometime, you know, before I go, we'll have a, a wee shindig up here and, and have a garden party of sorts. So, but we'll see. Uh, Steve Smith, they're after our holidays too. <laughs> I find these adverts for holidays on the TV. I kind of go like, why? <laughs> I go, eh, not going there. 
Nick Pierce, should crossbreed chickens with centipedes? Legs for everyone. <laughs> crossbreed chickens with centipedes. Legs for everybody. Uh. <laughs> what if the cheese is Dutch? Yeah, I think we're, we're just stuffed in all European cheeses. This is good. I mean, I love... I, I do love a nice fondue. <laughs> I love a fondue, me. And uh, I thought it was like... And, and fondues you've really got to make from kind of Gruyere or something, right? And the, even, you know, if you go down to the local supermarket and trying to find Gruyere, it's a fortune, man, right? And it's like now with Brexit, God knows what the cost of some of these cheeses. Parmesan, right? <laughs> it's a, normally, it's, it's like, I mean, this is a, there's a Parmesan shortage going on because... All my lovely friends from Italy, from the, the, the company Italy, right? <laughs> it's like um, Fabio and, and everybody, Gianluca, Gianluca and the things, you know. It's um, uh, Normally what happens is we kind of swap tickets for them. It's, it's a bartering thing. It's a modern modern way of, of, of living. So what we did was like, we'd give them, we'd give them uh, tickets for the gigs, basically laminates to the company Italy, right? And they would, they would do about five or six shows, normally in Germany or Poland and stuff. And in return, they would give us all Parmesan cheese, which was great. So this is it. This is what we've got to deal with now. So what would happen was that everybody would get a big lump of Parmesan off, off the company Italy and we'd all write our names on it, right? And it would all go in the fridge, right? And we'd be taking it home, right? And, uh, and now it's like, all oh, the company Italy cheese, I won't be able to bring it home anymore unless I hide it. Maybe if I've got... A, different diesel tank attached to the bus, like a false diesel tank, and maybe filled it full of Parmesan cheese, and what else can we put in it we're going to need? German sausages. We're not going to be able to get German sausages. Schwarzwälder Schinken. Schwarzwälder Schinken, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the more Schwarzwälder Schinken we've got, it's, we're going to have to... It's, it's going to be like, you know, be like, we'll have to get hidden floorboards, or like, you know, maybe get... Amps, so like amps, empty out all the innards of the amps and stuff. Or the drums, we could get the drums, right? Fill them full of cheese, like a drum of cheese inside the drums. Brilliant, right? But that's where it's going to come here. Getting stopped for ham and cheese sandwiches on the border, right? You know, keep the cocaine, mate. That's fine, it's just your ham and cheese we're after, right? Oh, Sally Tinnin, maybe we should try and genetically modify Donald Trump and anyone who's associated with him. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that in a bit. Right. Uh, don't good find out staying house. Sally Tynan, the Corn Exchange is amazing. Grew up in Harrington, live in London. Yeah, the Corn Exchange. That's what used to be in Dalkeith the Corn Exchange. There are so many Corn Exchanges in the UK, because especially in market towns like Harrington was. Because uh, Harrington was a, a, a serious market town until they decided to basically shift the railway. So instead of bringing the railway over the over the um, the hills or through the hills into Harrington, it snuck off around to North Berwick. So Harrington, as a market town, was kind of isolated. But the Corn Exchange, it's brilliant because if you go inside it, you've got the long thing, and some of you who've been at the, the, the conventions have seen them. But on the side of the wall, there's these wooden uh, kind of partitions that come out and they've all got numbers on them, and that's where all the different dealers used to stand to, to sell the corn. And um, that was in the days when Court Street was cobbles and blah, blah, blah. It was fantastic. But it's a, it's a beautiful building, you know, and we managed to get um, uh, 
different acoustics put in there a few years back, but we wanted to run it further. I mean, we really wanted to, to take it on. And there was, there was a few of us, but not enough to really kind of move it. And, you know, again, it's one of the things, give me a Euro, Euro lottery win and I'll be robbed by the damn place. Turn in a brilliant gig. Right. Bruno Cavallari, hello, Steve Smith. You love fondue, I'd never have guessed. What do you mean you'd never have guessed? I love fondue. I used to love going out to play the, um, the Fest du Soir in Geneva, Festival of Soir, du Soir. And uh, with Pimi, an old friend of mine called Pimi, was a, a, a DJ down in uh, Geneva way. And um, we used to go down and we didn't get any money for the gig. We just went down to meet up with loads of mates and have fondue. <laughs> So, and we used to go out, oh, we, everybody, all the musicians all went out on the night before the main, the first show, right? And we got, took over this entire restaurant and just ate fondue, right? And it was just brilliant. I used to love it. Next day, we paid for it, though. But yeah, so nowadays, it's like, you know, you go across and you'd be looking at a fondue pot full of cheese. No, the Brits will be going like, so much money in a, in a pot all at once. <laughs> Oh, God. Victoria, yeah, I'll miss that one. <laughs> Rico Anker, a piece of five kilogram gouda. Happy to trade this for a ticket. <laughs> yeah, it's great because Profact, my, my, my friends at Profact who've been done, have done a brilliant job and they've been really helping me through this um, delivery of albums that's happening in, in, in February. And... Um, it's, uh, you know, they sent us across a, a, a Christmas present. I've never seen so much Dutch cheese in my life. <laughs> it's, we got, it must have been about four or five kilograms, easy. Six big packs. Six huge packs. Mm -hmm. And the garlic one was stunning. Mm. We're still eating our way through it. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, um, I didn't used to like cheese when I was a kid. And I, I grew to like it. I think it had something to do with music business and ham and cheese sandwiches. Schwarzwalder uh. <laughs> Schinken, somebody says like it. Whiskey Galore 2021 version, Steve Smith, yeah. Greg Halo, you do realise that you're going to get stopped everywhere now when you get to tour. <laughs> it's going to be easy to train the dogs though, isn't it? Right? It's not like a drug dog, right? Sniffing out something like, you know, oh, it's easy. He's found some marijuana. How much you so much? Like that on the bus. Get out of here. <laughs> thing is, shouldn't be saying this, so don't tell this to anybody, right? And I heard this from somebody else who's got nothing to do with a big boy ran away and did it himself, right? Okay. But seemingly, there was a thing about, like, uh, it used to be an old trick way back in the 80s, seemingly, right? It was like some people were like smuggling drugs or whatever, right? <laughs> they put inside like a big Mac or something like that on the bus, right? So, and they put that inside a ham sandwich, right? And uh, you put the, put the drugs inside the ham sandwich and it'd be, um, and of course the dogs come on the bus and they go, rawr, 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 and it'd be a ham, ham sandwich, mate, for fuck's sake, ham sandwich. <laughs> Can I do that now? <laughs> Fuck the cocaine, you're done for the ham sandwich. Uh, 
The LP road crew, <laughs> your Keith, the LP road crew used to hide the coke in Carol Palmer's tubular bells. Might work for cheese. <laughs> Parmesan snipper joy, God. Uh. <laughs> it's spam. Well, yeah. <laughs> what would you... What roadie with respect would be seen with a spam sandwich? Spam! <laughs> Sally Tinnon, you're going to have for me on buying a car exchange. Yeah. Yeah, Stuart Jameson, Aldi and Lidl usually do European cheeses like Gruyere and Emmental at reasonable prices, especially compared to the British supermarkets that discount the cheddar instead. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, Louis McMillan. It's my first birthday tomorrow. Oh, Miss you, Miss you. Happy birthday. Yeah. Stevie Smith, raclette. Now there's a thing. Raclette, she's a love raclette. You love, you're a big fan of raclette. Yeah, we used to have a great supermarket. The one, the one we loved in, in Dulac was um, Chicken. Shaking, and I used to love going there, and it was weird because shaking. It was a wee bit. It, it was I don't know what you Marks and Spencer. No, not quite Marks and Spencers, but it was kind of. It was the. It was like a wee bit above a Tesco's kind of vibe. No, they were better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Better than a Tesco's, right? But not quite. Maybe Marks and Spencers, right? And um, I used to go there. I used to love it. And the thing that used to get me, and the thing that pisses me off over here, right, is they're like, why do we not have just vegetables unpacked that you put in paper bags and weigh yourself and put your tickets on, right? <laughs> why? That, that's the second part of the question, right? It's, um, it's like, it, you know, when you, you went in a chicken, all oh, you used to get garlic, big lumps of garlic, real old fresh vegetables, and you picked up what you wanted, you put it in a paper bag, you know, or, or, a, or a, one of them uh, green disposable kind of um, bags. Put on the thing, tied it up, put a ticket on it, on you went, right? Up to the thing, there you go. There was none of your kind of plastic, you know, what do you call it, the foam plastic beds to apples covered in cling film, right? It was like, you bought apples and you bought them in a bag. Well, you know, I'd, I'd love to go back to that. I mean, that's how I remember how it was when you, when you bought stuff, when I, you know, pre-supermarket days when I was a kid, you know? And, um, but I suppose it's, it's Britain, isn't it? It's, like, it's people going up going, oh, you, you put two apples in, get the ticket, and put our two apples in, and they'd do. So, it's a guy I know, right? And I've told him he's an arse for doing this, right? And, like, it's like, he goes up. If, if, he's, if he parks at an airport, right? He's not one of my band of crew, by the way. He's somebody else that I happen to know that I see very rarely, right? And I still think he's an arse for doing this, right? And he buys a... T he gets a car park ticket and he'll go away for five days abroad or something, come back, right? And he's got a big car park bill, right? So what he does is he drives his car and he drives it right up the arse to another car, right? So when the, the, the gate... When the, the, when the gate opens and the other car goes, right... He runs after the other car, like, like tailgates it all the way out, so he doesn't have to pay his parking ticket. <laughs> eh. Well, it's like, it annoys me, right? 
But it's um, but yeah, it's it's a thing over here. It's like everybody's always trying to find angles. Well, I suppose it's a general thing, but I mean, over here it's worse. Oh. No cheese allowed in the Big Mac, Elaine. Elaine Bithry. Smuggling cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Ham and cheese toasty, now you're talking Bilio. Marcus Lurkin, greets from Bayenburg. Oh, I should move on to the song. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to do, do two tonight, right? Because I thought... Um, oh, just a wee heads up. Um, I'm on Planet Rock on Sunday at seven o'clock. Do, do, I've got a... Uh, um, what's it called? It's my programme. Basically, I've got, I've got a show on Planet Rock on, on Sunday. Seven o'clock. I'll post something on Facebook either tomorrow or Sunday. But Planet Rock, seven o'clock, be there. Right. And Joyce Vanderbrug, the Heed player. There was nothing wrong with it last week. I apologise to anybody who was like, you know, disgruntled, right? Heed coming like, you know, there was nothing wrong with the Heed player. It was my fault last week because I put a D, I put the last CD from the songs from the Mirror Remaster, which is actually a DVD in. That's why I didn't read. So it wasn't the Heat player last week. So let's move on. Anthony Sharp. Wishing you all the best, mate. Anthony's going in. He's a bit nervous because he's going to the hospital tomorrow for a small procedure. Right. Wish you all the best, mate. Don't worry. It's easy. Peace, peace. The only time I was ever worried, and I'll be absolutely open and honest about this, was when I got the snip. And... That was about 2009. And, uh, and Hibs had just beaten Hearts. And I was in, I, I actually had to get done private because I, I went general anaesthetic because I'm a wimp, right? There was no way I was going to have anybody going anywhere near me with sharp knives and scissors and blood and everything else in that area of my body with me being able to see it or whatever. I just went, no. General anaesthetic. So I went private. And Hibs, I sat in my bed in, in, in the room listening to Hibs Beat Hearts on the, on, on the radio. And I came out to get to go into the theatre and the, the surgeon came out with a, all right, son, how are you doing? All right. I went, oh, I'm really happy. He's like, you're da, da, da. It's 2-0 today, really happy. The guy was a jambo. He was a heart supporter, right? And I was about to go in and get the snip from a surgeon who was a heart supporter. My heart sank, right? That's the only time I've ever been worried about going to theatre, right? But everything was fine. Allegedly. Uh, right. This song. Um, I need a vape. It's the big vape in the kitchen, love. It's, um... Thank you, darling. I remember coming up with the idea for this when we were waiting to go home from JFK. And, uh, and thank you, darling. <coughs> the first one, you know, the tummy, I'm a bastard. I'm not a flab in here. Has nailed it. Ah, <laughs> ah. 
we were coming back. In fact, it could have been, it must have been, it could have been the Rush tour when we were heading back. Anyway, the first section of the song happened, you know. It was, uh, we were standing, I was standing outside having a cigarette and it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a sunny day and it was, um, and there were the two black kids doing the shoeshine bit on the businessman, you know, outside and they were doing the bit and, you know, doing the jive stuff and, and at the same time there was a, a, a priest came, actually came out, there was a couple of them came out and, and basically did get into a very expensive car. And uh, and they had minders. They had kind of security guys with them. And I kind of stuck in my head. And uh, and the thing with the title of the song, I kind of picked that up off. Picked that up off these um, uh, two New Zealanders, or it was um, the two New Zealanders that did our merchandise way back in the early eighties. And it was always wedge. Right? Money was always called wedge. How much wedge have you got? Big wedge tonight, got a lot of big wedge, right? I mean, before the Harry Enfield stuff, right? And it was wedge, and it was, you know, anybody got any wedge? Got any wedge, 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 right? And it, it just stuck, and over the years, it, it, it came together. And, uh, but it was, it must have been the, the, the last Marillion tour, uh, the last Marillion tour we did at the States, when, when that, those the first images popped in. And, when I put the kind of idea forward, it was early stages of the lyric, but it was still pretty much there, you know. I found a new, found a new religion yesterday, I just cleared immigration, JFK, a priest got a Cadillac, the shoeshine boys sang gospel as God and his accountants drove away. You'll see him coast to coast on live TV in a stadium rocked by Satan just the night before. The collection from the faithfuls, tax-free, will pay for the presidential campaign in his yacht. Bomb! It was like that was all written back way back then, and the band saw it when it was like you know, and it was it was deemed as being anti-American, and there's always been this thing that stuck around the song that it's a, it's an anti-American song. It was never an anti-American song, right? It's an anti it's a corporate song. It's an anti-corporate song. It was all about the money, and like I think one of the things is that. America is always identified as being the home of some of the, the, the biggest corporations. I mean, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, da da da, um, uh, Morgan Chase, you know, all these guys. I mean, it's all the big money boys are all, you know, always seem as being out of America. And then that was what kind of like prompted it. And it was just, it was that time in the 80s when it was kind of, you know, you know, the yuppies were still, you know, holding the fort and, you know, it was all money and air money. The wedge, wedge, wedge. It was, like I said, where Harry Enfield's character came from, you know? And, um, but it was interesting, you know, when I look back on it today, because, you know, um, when I, when I listened to the song, to be sure the CD player was working and where the remote was, but it was, uh, you'll sell, uh, You'll sell the ground beneath your feet, you'll sell your oil, you'll sell your trees, your ideals and integrity, your culture and your history, your children into slavery to labour in their factories, your mother and your family, you'll sell the world eventually. It's a nice run. Not poorly, but runs. Uh, 
You'll sell the ground beneath your feet, done that. Sell your oil, sell your trees, done that. Your ideals and integrity, culture and your history. Yeah. And then the IMF and CIA, there was the American refs, you know. There's just no difference, they're all the same. It all depends on what's your point of view, right? And then there was America, America, the big wedge, yeah. But that was always about, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an anti-American song, it was an anti-corporate song. And, uh, and it's been interesting, you know, um, I, I read on the news today, there was uh, um, the richest people on the planet, like the top whack guys, like they're one trillion dollars more rich than they were at the start of the pandemic. And, um, and it makes me think, you know, about it all, you know. Um, you know, you, you obviously see, you know, when you're watching, like, you know, American TV or things, and, and the word socialist is, is mentioned. It's like, it's a really dirty word. I mean, it's sort of, you know, people get mixed up between socialism and communism over there, I think, you know. It's like, and um, I, I, I have, I mean, I'm not a, a, a purebred socialist by any stretch of the imagination, and, I, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, you know, a purebred capitalist, you know, I kind of float in rivers, you know. But, um, but the one thing that concerns me, you know, as I said last week, it was, um, you know, back in the 80s, you know, they would show us photographs of people queuing up for food in Russia and Eastern European states, and we'd go, oh, that's terrible, right? You know, how could, a, how could a country allow that, right? And it's happening now. And at the same time, you know, you get the news that you know, the richest people in the world have earned one trillion, one trillion. The package that, that um, President-elect Biden is talking about is what, 1.2 trillion or whatever it is, right? You know, that's what you're talking about. Those are the kind of numbers, right? And um, and you've got to see that, you know, there's a lot of people like Bezos, Amazon, you know, a lot of other people have made a lot of money from this, you know, from, from the crisis because they have, you know, the, the, the mail order um, kind of sewn up on every level. I mean, from, you know, electrical to grocery goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I just do mail order CDs. I'm not exactly like, you know. I need it, definitely. Now, but Amazon, in other words, the one trillion, you know, why can't we think about doing a windfall tax, whatever, you know, if, if they've earned so much money from all this, right, so much money, then maybe there should be an idea of a windfall tax on industries that have made substantially more from, you know, or, or actually benefited in, a, in an oblique way from the COVID virus. And, uh, Another thing is, it's like, you know, who do we owe all this money to? It's like, you know, the, like I said, it's like the Brexit legal bill, you know, and, you know, the rest of it. I mean, everything else. I mean, but the money that it's cost to, to cover for COVID, you know, it's like, who do we all owe it to, right? It's um, the IMF, uh, you know, who, who do we owe this money to? And, um, and I remember there was talk a while back with Bono and a couple of other guys, and they were talking about, um, you know, writing off debt, you know, to third world countries. And I'm wondering whether, you know, that was going to be proposed again, you know, because, you know, we're in a situation now where everybody's fucked. <laughs> you know, it's like there are so many, you know, countries are fucked, you know, and... um. 
there must be a way. I mean, somebody, can we not just do what, what the Italians used to do in the 70s? Yeah, the leader, we're just going to take five numbers of it. What the Poles used to do with the slotty, you know. It's now, there's a 500,000 slotty note. It doesn't work anymore because we're now, it's completely changed, right? It's completely devalued. And, you know, maybe this is what we need to do. It's like, because, you know, it's like, who are we owe all the money to? <laughs> Who's got all this wedge that we're owed to? I mean, I'm not, you know, an economics major by any stretch of the imagination. But it's, you know, it's... Um, you know, this world debt, is it, is it a Martian? Is it a Bank of Mars? <laughs> oh, we borrowed heavily from the Bank of Mars. They're going to take our planet away. <laughs> We're going to get evicted off the planet. <laughs> well, we could be getting evicted off the planet anyway. <laughs> the Bank of Mars is shutting us down. Hmm. Oh. Bish, bash, bosh, dosh. Yeah. John Urey, Richard Thompson recorded his own version of Big Wedge around about 1988. He called it Jerusalem on the Jukebox. That's quite cool. I've not heard that one. But yeah, I mean, that was the thing, but you know, back in the 80s as well. I mean, Colin, Phil Collins did, uh, uh, there was the, the Genesis thing, the Genesis video where they, they parodied uh, um, the American religion. And I remember at the time, I, when I was, you know, when the first time I went to America, I was shocked at, like, you know, all the, the religious TV and it was like, you know, you know, come see God, you know, I'm going like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, there was, oh, I forget his name. It was His name was, <laughs> he, he was a household name until he got caught with a bunch of other women. <laughs> but uh, it's, um, yeah, but I mean, that whole religious thing, kind of the religion and money and, and the way that money plays and the power and stuff. And then you're, and you're watching it out in America just now. I mean, you know, you know, when, you know, when Donald Trump became president of the United States of America, you knew what was going to happen. Right? And it was like you know, the Trump industry and, and money. And he is the epitome. I mean, I think it should be... Um, uh, I, I, I think probably if I was put the single out there, I might have put his... his, his him in the, the Uncle Sam outfit, because, uh, I mean, that was it. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's about greed. That's what Big Wedge is. It's about greed and about selling out and, and basically allowing money to dominate your life. And uh, it's something I've tried not to. I've been in terrible positions and I've been in good positions and, you know, and I've, you know, earned and, and, and spent a lot, blah, 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 but it's, the one thing I learned all over over time is like, you know, it's never let it drive your life. I never became a musician. I never became a singer because I wanted to be rich, right? <laughs> it's absolutely, honestly true. I never did it because I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be able to sleep in a lot. But I'm, I've got the wrong CD and I'm sure I've got the wrong bloody CD. Ah. Me bloody legs, got the one. <laughs> Not today, Josephine. I've got, I'm, when I put the track on, I'm going to run right through the office. I'm going to get something freak you out. Right. Big wedge. I thought 
Big Wedge from the Visual in the Wilderness of the Mirrors album. I'm gonna nick your beer, love. I'll have something through the kitchen. Oh. And you come, why is that on vigil? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> we did that before. Cut out there. Big Wedge. Yeah. Kick horns and that. It's, I love the horns. Kick horns, actually, all the guys that played on that album, they were all, they all worked with Pete Townsend's um, uh, big band thing, the White City thing. Wow, they were great. And this, right? Here's the cover. You get a bit of sparkle there, right? Now, if you look at it, right, you may not notice this before. Twin Towers and Jets. Creepy as fuck. Yep. It was, uh, I didn't actually realise till years later that there was actually a jet heading, flying towards, or flying above the, the Twin Towers. And uh, that was a really creepy one. But the character, when we decided on the character, it was... Um, that's original, by the way, that artwork. Hangs, <laughs> hangs in the office. <laughs> Pirate side of our merchandising system. Uncle Sam. I don't know if it's away. Hold on. Ah, bollocks. I was going to research this and I didn't. I, I ran out of time this afternoon because I was too busy sorting out gas boilers. But yeah, but the Uncle Sam character is interesting because go and Google it, but, but just Google Uncle Sam and you'll actually find he's, he's quite a nefarious man. And he basically ripped off the American government. That's what I've, I seem to remember from what I read before and was involved with selling uh, um, infected blankets to the Native American Indians oh. and had a lot to do with the, the, the big, <coughs> was it the, the flu outbreaks, breaks amongst the Native Americans. And he was, he was a bit of a, he's a very shoddy, well guy. And um, it came out after the American Civil War and I think he was based in New Orleans. Can't remember his name, but I'm sure on this thing, I'm gonna get loads and loads of like, blah, blah, blah. But that was why we chose him. <coughs> I always find this interesting. Uncle Sam was always identified as kind of a positive, vibrant figure, but he's actually quite shady. And uh, the video for uh, Big Wedge, I love doing that. It was, um, but a, a lot of people saw it as being really political and I just saw it as being kind of like a social conscience. And I think that's one of the problems. I mean, I've had so many singles, State of Mind, Eternal Exile, right? And um, it's been, even 52 I had problems with in America, right? And, um, but Exile and State of Mind in particular didn't get radio play because they were deemed as being too political. And, um, and it's a strange thing with, with, with songs these days in that there's very few artists, like mainline artists. There's a lot of kind of people like myself, you know, that, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about politics and I'm quite open to talking about politics. But as I've said, you know, in this medium, you know, when I'm just talking to you, you know, it, I, it's, I don't want to be a party political broadcast. I want to look at it in context of what's happening around us, right? And, you know, 
anyway. But yeah, but I mean, you know, political songwriters are few and far between. I mean, you know, you had the John Baez, right, who I was really, I was privileged to meet one time, lovely lady. And um, you had Bobby Dylan, and, you know, there was a lot of other guys kicking over, John Sebastian back in the 60s and stuff. Canned Heat were all, everybody was kind of, you know, getting involved in it. I mean, I think because of Vietnam, etc., was definitely a, a, a kind of a, a lightning rod for it all. But I mean, um, but you know, in recent years, this has become more and more corporate. This is, is you know, if you know, you go, you touch political, you know, you won't be in the mainstream. And it's just, uh, but there's a lot of artists just, you know, don't like getting involved in it. You know, there's obviously there's certain genres where, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes with the machine, right? But you know, there's, um, I can't really think of any prog artists that have kind of, you know, being political of sorts, but like, uh, you know, but it's, you know, people go like, you know, why do you talk about politics? It's like, you know, well, I, I have to, you have to brush with politics when, you, when you're dealing, dealing with material. You can't exist, you know, and not, you know, brush politic, you know, because I mean, the society we live in is, is basically dictated to that society is, you know, it, yes, it's created by us within communities, but at the end of the day, it's it's moved and, and shaped by a lot of political decisions. And uh, <clears throat> so how can you comment about society without commenting about politics? And I decided to pluck the seven one out there because the people are going like, oh, well, fish politics. This was written in 1981 in a graveyard called, a church called St Mary's in Aylesbury, right? And... I remember this because I was actually, I was, um, I'd done some acid the night before with my girlfriend Izzy and um, we were, I'd gone out with my notebook and we were, it was a beautiful summer's night and we'd been kind of traipsing about doing stuff and um, we were in St Mary's graveyard and I was writing down what had happened the night before and I'm kind of still coming down off a trip. I was a very young man then, very young man. And all these coppers suddenly started to come out from all these little alleyways all around kind of the old part of Aylesbury walking into St Mary's Church. And Izzy and I are sitting in the graveyard like <laughs> tripping off our faces going like, wow, this is cool. Right. And we had to explain who we were and what we were doing there. And I'm just writing, you know, writing, I'm writing poetry. <laughs> but the previous night, it had all been kicking off because um, basically Aylesbury was kind of, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I mean, um, I can go over it again. Aylesbury was a kind of multicultural place. When I was, when I went down there in January '81, uh, it was it was a really cool place. It was like I had lovely little winding streets, cobbles and stuff, and the market square, and, and that was where everybody met. And you had friars. You know, the, the venue was right next to the market square and, and, and stuff. And um, and uh, it was really cool. And there was Rastas. There was Italians. There was Greeks. There was. Irish, there was um, Jamaicans, there was all sorts of different kind of communities, right? And, um, and it kind of came together. Down the road in Luton, there was a lot of problems with National Front and the, the kind of British right wing. And there was loads of rumours that they were coming up and they were, wanting to, they were wanting to kick off, right? Against, you know, basically the, the, the blacks and the blacks and the left wing in Aylesbury, right? And there were there was supposed to be buses coming up. And there was a guy called Brick, 
And there was another guy, Bonzo. I said, Bonzo? And you sent me, if you're listening, hello, right? And there was a bunch of skinheads and they used to drink in the grapes in, in, in the market square. And they were really nice guys, you know? But Brick was quite a, he was, you know, a bit rough and tumble. Like, come on, right, you know, they ain't gonna do that here. There's no way. And he basically charmed the crowd. And people started to gather up at the, the top square. Um, can't remember what it was called. It was, uh, was a Walton Square, at the, the, behind the Market Square, because the buses were going to come into the kind of Market Square area. So they everybody kind of gathered to, to like ambush them, right? And Brink was spouting it out. He was he was rallying the troops, you know, and um, and that was the inspiration between behind Market Square heroes. And Brink was all very much in for um, raising the rabble, right? But he didn't know what to do with them. You know, he wasn't like a leader, right? He could he could rouse people's emotions and he could get people fired up, but there was no real direction to it. And I always saw that as being dangerous, you know? And that was kind of the inspiration behind Market Square Heroes. And you can hear it in the lyrics. The lyrics you probably all know. Right? It was the first single that we put out. It was political, right? It was, it was, it was born in the politic, right? And, um... And I've continued like that. And I was and watching this, I drift this up because on January the 6th, watching that speech that Donald Trump, that President Donald Trump made, right, up at the White House, right? They're trying to dis distance themselves from it and say, no, that wasn't what he meant. He didn't actually say specific. He didn't need to. The same way as Brick didn't need to do that in the market square, right? You know, he didn't need to. All he had to do was point. And I think it's one thing I learned as a front man, that, you know, you've got a certain degree, you've got immense responsibility. When you're in charge of a crowd, you know, you can, you can pulse them up and you can, you can rouse and stuff. That's what you do. This is, you know, as, as, a, as a, f a front man of a rock band, you know, you're supposed to bring people together and get them fired up, get them dancing, da-da-da. And I remember one night in Cone, way, way back, in, in uh, 19, it'd be what, 1984, when we were out on the on the Fugazi tour, we played Market Square Heroes in this this really hot, sweaty club in Colne, uh, and there was a, it was a big audience, and um, it was the first time that uh, EMI Electrola, which is the German wing of EMI, it was the first time their big shots were coming along to see us all, like, like you know, to see us in glory. And I was up there, we did Marcus Quiros, and right at the end, and I inadvertently put my right hand out like that. I went, hi, hi, right? And the, the, on the big, sort of like, before it drops in the, hi, Obama, you're on it, it was hi. And I started doing it, and the audience went up with the hands, with a single hand each, right? Freaked me out, right? And I felt really guilty, and it was like, you know, how, it was just for that moment, it was, you know, but, you know, I've been in situations where, you know, I've, I've got a crowd angry and, you know, at something, uh, you know. I mean, I remember way back on, it would be probably the Vigil tour. Yeah, it would have been Vigil. And we were playing in Switzerland and... Oh, what was the name of the place? It's going to come to me. It was a small, <clears throat> it was a, it was a small club by a lake, and Frank had some friends there, and one of them was a, a black guy that, that 
that Frank knew. And Frank had said, why don't you come down to the, to the, the gig tonight? And he went, oh, I'm not going to go. I said, you'll never get in. And Frank said, what do you mean you'll never get in? You're on the guest list, right? And he said, nah, said, uh, they don't uh, let blacks inside the club because they're all seen as being drug dealers. And he said, there's no point in me coming down there because I'll never get in the club. And I just went, I ain't happening. <laughs> so uh, I went up to the owner and I basically said, there's a friend of ours coming and uh, it's like, if he's not in this club tonight, then there will be no show, right? I will not be going on stage. The gig's off. And there was a big standoff, right? And it was all, wah, 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 wah. It was, it was the female owner of the place. And uh, it was all, it was very tense. And before the, the show, it was like, you know, if, if he, he came in, because we said on the guest list, if he ain't in. And I went on stage and I said, I have heard that, da, 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 that this club, like, they've, they've not allowed. And I, I just played, you know, I, I did the Nelson Mandela gig, I think it was. Just, and I said, this is ridiculous. It's like, you know, it's like in this day and age in Europe, you know, there's, there's, an, there's an apartheid policy on the door, blah, blah, blah. The place were erupted, the crowd was like, I mean, they would have torched the place if I if I told them to torture, you know. And uh, and at the end of the gig, I was I was told that like the police were on their way and I was going to be arrested. <laughs> and John Gavin, I was my man at the time, I was smuggled out of this venue and onto the bus. And we had, we had two buses at the time, and the 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 the, the band bus zipped straight away, right right off. And, um, you know, it was basically out of the dressing room, no shower, don't pick up anything, just go on the bus and go. And we were running, basically, for the German border, right? Because we were playing the Philips Halle in Dusseldorf, which was a major venue in Germany the next day. <laughs> and the singer had gone, yap, 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 right? And uh, seemingly, the, the thing was, that, or the thing is, that in Switzerland, libel laws are pretty, pretty heavy. And, uh, and the woman had said that I'd called her uh, a racist and all the rest of it. So I was off to the... I was off to the um, the border, and we got stopped. <laughs> and I was I was at, I, I, because I was so desperate to get over this border into Germany, and uh, we were stopped at the border, and we were sitting there for about fifteen twenty minutes waiting on the guy to come out because by the time it's about three four in the morning, right? And uh, and we didn't know what was was happening behind us, and we were expecting you know Swiss police to come up, you know. And I see the guy coming out with a uniform and things like that. And he's, he goes, uh, so, fish? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fish. Ah, oh, big fan, da, da, da. Then I end up signing all these Brooklyn albums. Have a T-shirt, have a cup of coffee. Yeah, 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 on the way. <laughs> Shitting it, I was. Because um, then the manager, I, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Because we were going to, it's like the tour was already kind of like on the edge financially. I had like a fourteen, fifteen thousand 15,000 capacity Phillips Allen coming up the next day. And I've just blown it because to make a point at this Swiss gig, right? But it was worth it and I felt good for doing it and like all the rest of it. And it was, um, um, you know, but it's, you know, when you're on a, in front of a microphone, when, you, when you're on a stage and you're in front of a crowd, you've got responsibility. And on January the 6th, President Donald J. Trump showed no kind of responsibility. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, what he said, he goaded them on and he sent them all the way down to the Capitol building, right? He knew exactly what he was doing. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing. And, you know, it is stodgy. And um, so I thought, did I put the damn thing in? <clears throat> I 
It's an old age thingy bee. Oh, bollocks. Oh, no. I hate these. These plastic things. Jewel cases. I'm too bothered out there of what you got in it. This one.
<coughs> I remember hearing that on the radio for the first time in a car, in the back of a car, behind the marquee club, the very first time it was played on Radio 1, we were all in the car, listening to it going, yeah! <laughs> but yeah, but that song, it was, uh, that's what it's, it's all about, being a populist leader, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's crap. And, you know, I'm kind of torn. You know, I don't like Donald Trump or President Trump. I don't like him. I think he's a liar. Uh, I think he's a terrible manipulator. I think he's been into for himself right from the start. His ego's out of control. And I think the last four years, I mean, it's all very well saying, you know, well, you know, he did a lot. He did a lot for the economy before COVID, but you know, COVID is part of thing on his watch as well. And watching the numbers in in, in America, it's absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking, you know. And there's nothing. I mean, and I watch and listen and read regularly, and there's nothing coming out about you know the president grabbing it. I mean, um, Vice President Pence has actually done himself a lot of favors. I think in the last week, and I think he's conducted himself. And in a great manner, and he, you know, he's the only one that's shown to be doing anything. But you know, in saying all that, yeah, I mean, I think you know, if if this had been three months ago, four months ago, then yeah, an impeachment. Um, I think the twenty fifth amendment, the twenty fifth amendment, would have stuck um, if it had been three, four months ago. But you know, we are staring at you know, President elect Biden becoming uh, president of America. On the twentieth, I find I find it shocking, you know, what people are talking about happening on Sunday in the various state capitals and, and various other places around the country in, in America, in the United States of America, and uh, we've never been so disunited, you know, probably since the Civil War, and um, and it's it's scary, you know, and you know. Yeah, as I said, I think, you know, he should have been, been impeached, but it should have happened ages ago. I mean, to drag the impeachment across in uh, the first weeks, months, uh, the, the new president's watch, I don't think is um, helpful to Biden. I think President Biden, you know, he's going in there and having to divert a lot, divest a lot of energies into somebody that's gone. And I kept on thinking about time bandits. You know, in time bandits, you've got the really evil guy, right? And when you hate him, he goes bigger and he becomes stronger and da-da-da because he's got something to fight against, you know? And, the, you know, at the end of the film, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but they all laugh at him. And by laughing at him, he just, he, he melts away, you know? And I don't know whether, you know, you know, that's the kind of approach we should have to Trump. You know, he's gone. I mean, I think, you know, as soon as he becomes, uh, as soon as he's... A, a, a normal civilian again. He's, he's opened up for a load of legal hits from banks and institutions, plus all the different, you know, state hits that are going to come at him. You know, is it worth pursuing it? I mean, I think, for me, in my opinion, in America, there needs to be some sort of... The, you've, there's got to be a unification brought brought into the States. And I don't know whether an impeachment you know, is, is really helping this or whether it's still just fueling, you know, the fires that are in that divide that's between, you know, two parties. And, and I don't particularly like, you know, twin party politics. I mean, I look at the UK 
and look, you know, the mess that, that, that Labour and the Tories have, have made in, you know, to this country, you know, between them. And, um, and I think, you know, when people are arguing about parties rather than arguing about the country that they're supposed to be representing, it's a problem. And as much as I hate Trump and as much as I think it's deserved and as much as I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's very responsible for everything, for, for basically throwing that, that match into the tinderbox on, on, on January the 6th, you know? And, you know, but the, the problem is, as has been pointed out, it's, it's not, it wasn't everybody that was at that rally that was actually involved with the fighting and the pipe bombs and the guns and the, uh, the injuries and the murder and attempted murders, you know? It wasn't everybody. But, you know, it's like, you know, break it, market square heroes. It's like, you know, you try and avoid a situation like that. He could have pulled it back and he didn't. You know, and he, he could have said a lot more in the last couple of weeks, and he hasn't. And, uh, and as I said, I think the impeachment is valid, but, you know, whether it's right to pursue this at a time when America needs to be coming together is another thing. I mean, I really dislike Donald Trump a lot, you know, and it's got nothing to do with being anti-American. I think, you know, big politics, there's always a problem with big politics, but I think, you know, we're... You know, what's happened in the last four years, and especially what's happened in, in, in recent months, I mean, you know, living off the lie that the, the election was fraudulent, you know, nah. I've not seen any evidence anywhere in any publication, you know, that suggests, you know, a falsification of votes or the magnitude that would be required to basically turn Pennsylvania or Georgia or, or you know, or, you know, and I think one of the things you've got to look at is if the, the election was fraudulent, you know, and Biden got in on a fraud vote, why didn't the Democrats make sure that they had complete control of, of Congress at the same time, which they didn't, and they lost seats in, in the House, you know? I think that speaks for itself. But, I bet, you know, but quite weirdly, this is going to be, um, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a time of growth. I mean, I think the Republican Party in, in, in America is going to change dramatically and I think, and, and change very much for the good. And I think, you know, I'm hoping that the Trumpian kind of Frankenstein that's been created, you know, is dealt with like the time bandits, Barry, you know. And um, and I really hope Biden gets it together. Because, I mean, the focus, you know, shouldn't be about the economy. It should be on the people. Right, and you know, there's so many people dying. I mean, when you're up to like you know, four thousand people a day, you know, four thousand people a day in America, that's that's a scary figure, and we've got everything else. But um, but um, when it bottom line comes down to it, you know, it's it's you know, we're looking at you know now the Brazilian variant and the South African variant and all the rest of it, and. I think that's what we should be focusing on more than anything else, you know. Um, because until we get all that right and get the vaccinations out, you know, I mean, as I said, I mean, Steve Ansis was told he's looking at a, a vaccination in, in September, you know, September. That's when we're supposed to be starting the tour and that's his first vaccination. <laughs> Not happening. But the one thing, I mean, you know, yeah, with the media, I mean... Yeah, Trump gets chewed up on CNN, and as I said, I said last week. I mean, I'm not an idiot, and you know, this time when there's when there's too much overregging, it's like you know, stop it. You don't need to do that. And um, but I mean, but the media in general has got got a responsibility, you know, to try and 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 all things together.
And um, and the thing I hate about like for any of the prime minister, either either our first minister's questions or or, or Boris Johnson's, so everybody keeps on asking. So when's it going to end? When when are the pubs going to be open? When when's it, when's it all going to be over? They don't know. None of us know, right? It's like they make out it's as if it's a bad thing that, that, that people can't say when the when we're going to ease down the restrictions. It's like nobody knew that this new variant was going to come at us, right? And you know, I think just to turn around and start, you know, asking politicians that they're stupid questions. It's like being in it's like being in a car on your way on holiday and you turn around to your mum and dad in the front of the car going, "When are we going to get there? Just over the hill, over the hill, son. You, oh look, there's the sea up there." And that's kind of where we're at. We don't know what's going to happen. But what we do know is that, like, you know, there's some even more serious shit coming at us at the moment. And, you know, and, you know, when you talk about shutting down the whole of South America, there's a reason for it, you know. You know, they're, they're, they're worried about it. And uh, I was glad my mother got her, her first vaccination. I'm glad, even more glad when she gets her second. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and this is the fact of the matter, that like no matter how much you can ask about when the pubs are going to be open, when we're going to be allowed to do this, when we can, we, we just got to deal with it, you know, because it's like until we get this thing like absolutely under control and get our rates all the way down, then we ain't going anywhere. And there's no point in asking Boris Johnson or Nicola Sturgeon, you know, when are the pubs going to be open, right? And it's um and. I'm maintaining my distance. I mean, we we regulate. I mean, I go I go down the supermarket maybe once a week. I'm trying to get get to even longer, you know, and I just try and make things last and and uh, and deal with it. And I keep my two meters distance and I wear a mask and I wash my hands all the time, you know. And um, I've seen enough shitty stories and seen enough shitty interviews on TV about people who have caught it that yeah, have survived. That yeah, they've not needed to go and uh, you know. Um, on the ventilators, but they're dealing with shit with lungs and, and major organs and things fucked up. You know, it's a crappy thing. It's rubbish, you know? But I mean, we have to follow it. We have to follow the rules and use your common sense. I mean, people shouldn't have to be told, well, you know, can I do this, but can I do that? But if I do this, can I do that? Use your common sense, you know? This isn't a game, you know? It's not like, it's, it's not like you know, taxis, where how can I get around my pay my taxis? It's not like that. This is a completely different thing. You know, and you know, I know of, nobody likes being told and being told what to do. But I mean, if you understand a bit why, and again, you know, when you've got idiots taking photographs of empty hospital corridors and trying to put it up and make out that it's like this, it's all a hoax. It ain't a hoax. It's a real damn thing, right? So, and like I said, I mean, I'll be glad when you know people get refocused about this COVID thing. And we need to get a bit more focused because it's easy to become lackadaisical and, and become contemptuous of it all. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in America in particular, it's like when you're looking at 4,000 4, deaths a day plus, uh, and the infection rate and the scale, you know, they need to start concentrating on it. But, it's, uh, but I'm going to leave with this tonight because I thought, you know, I've been through it all. I've been, you know, it's like, is he? Ain't he? Is he gone? When's he going? I saw the cars up there. Somebody took, actually took a stuffed pheasant of some one of the one of the somebody that was working in the White House, one of the staffers, took away a stuffed pheasant, <laughs> put it in the back of a car. Right? We've got eleven, by the way, in the garden now. Eleven. Right, we can do this.
Because this is my wife's favourite song on the album. Isn't it? Oh. Darren. Say this is your favourite. What is it? Hmm? Let's get this right. Drop down. Deserve some good. He deliberates the night to convince himself the fight's worth winning.
fill that one appropriate, Jane, don't you, mate? And that's it. Darling! You are coming. You've, you've not been on. The missus hasn't been on at all. And we're running it so late. There'll be complaints from the neighbours. It's still in, in preparation. What's oh. for dinner tonight, love? Um, um, pork filet with immoral uh, cognac sauce. You bought cognac? Yes. And I... We're doomed. What, what's flambe? Flambe? Yes, and I nearly you, put the you, <laughs> kitchen in fire. Oh, that'd be good. It was that high. It's the St. Louis guy food. He's not been? No. No, I've not heard from either. So, um. It's not, it's not zero and nobody's phoned. Tagliatelle. That's it. Tagliatelle, sorry. Tagliatelle in Port Philly and Morels with brandy. Rock on! Rock on! So, okay. yeah, we're okay. It's uh, um. We did get some good news about Simona's head being fine. There was no fracture, which was a piece of good news that came in last week as well. So, but we're all ready. So it's another weekend. Um, the extension, the bathroom extension was started. But I'll tell you more about that next week. But it's... Um, exciting. It's a very exciting. Bath, 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 bath. Yeah, we're going to get a bath for the first time in a year and a half. We shower, we do shower. Uh, mm. But that's it. So just take care of yourselves and stay sane. Um, I'm like trying to just find shit to do. Like I said, I was lagging pipes today and tomorrow, this, this week I'm going to be pruning vines and doing bits and pieces and just keeping myself bloody occupied. The shop will be open on Monday. I know, yeah. Yeah. And as I said, we'll have 80 vinyl. Um, check out, watch your, your fish posts over the weekend. There's a couple of things coming out. One about the Erdinger thing on uh, the Just Given pages was uh, Erdinger have, have been really, really good to us. And they've given us 25 crates of beer to basically put up for, uh, not so much auction, but you know, you make a donation and that money will basically go straight into the Just Given fund for the lemon tree. More support you give that, the better, thank you. And as I said, our shop will be open up on Monday. We'll be running, we've got the garden, we've got the extension, and we'll all be masking up and, you know, it's, uh, mm. just watch after. It's shite, I know it's shite. I mean, it's like, as I said, you know, I've just got to keep myself focused and keep myself going and deal with it all. We've just both, both got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, we'll see it. I'll be back next Friday, usual time, six o'clock. Um, as I said, Keep your social distance, wash your hands, and wear a mask, and just, you know, play your part. Because if everybody plays their part in it, then everything comes together. And uh, community, family, community, country. Okay? Till next week from Fish and Friday. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> bye bye.